Trust you all well. Some phoned and said, are we having a meeting this morning? Lights are off. So I um, hope people didn't stay away because the lights were off. I'm glad that you came even though the lights are off uh, or the electricity is off. So, um, but we've got, our, we've got our aircon coming through those doors, so that, that's good. <laughs> At least there's a bit of coolness. In uh, John chapter 6, it says they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who was sent from God. Only he has seen me. Um, sorry. Wrong passage. Start again. Chapter 7 and verse 18. Whoever believes in me, and as the scripture has said, streams of living waters will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, up to that time, the Spirit had not been given to anyone because Jesus hadn't been yet glorified. So we, we are speaking about the Holy Spirit. That's been our theme if you haven't been with us during this time. Where the theme is pursuing the Holy Spirit, and I trust that you've been pursuing the Holy Spirit uh, in your heart and with your mind and with your soul. Our message today is entitled "The Outworking of the Holy Holy Spirit in Our Lives." And my first point that I'd like to focus on is the Spirit produces life. Would you agree with me? The Spirit produces life. Matt has spoken about the Holy Spirit's work in creation, the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit's work in the baptism of the Spirit, which is a subsequent encounter with, the, with God, the Holy Spirit, after conversion or being filled with the Spirit. And um, Joey spoke about the wooing effect of the Spirit in salvation and how he enables us to, to get saved. And so the focus is on the coming of the Spirit in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon 120 people in the upper room and they went out and they spoke in tongues and they were languages and people heard the gospel in their own language. They were amazed. And many of them went back to their countries, no doubt, and took the gospel with them. And then after a while, Peter preached uh, to thousands of people. And you remember how 3,000 people came to know Christ at one, at one time. And I would have loved to have been there just to see 3,000 people responding to Christ. The Holy Spirit had worked so mightily, had empowered Peter to preach in, in this way. And there were signs and wonders and there were miracles in those days. And it's recorded for us in the book of Acts and also in, in the Gospels. There are people who don't believe in the work of the Holy Spirit today as uh, was in the days gone by, in the time of Jesus. They are called cessationists, they are pastors, uh, theologians, and, and even many Christians. And they don't believe that, uh, that the, the Holy Spirit works in the same powerful way that uh, that he used to work in signs and wonders and miracles, in tongues, in, um, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And um, 
And, and it's, it's a sad thing because it depreciates the work of God in his church. Where is my notebook over here? I've got a, I get a, a little magazine from Switzerland called The Swiss Review uh, every now and again. I think it comes every second or third month. And um, it talks about the decline of the church in Switzerland. And, um, and, and churches are closing down left, right, and center. Uh, that started happening in some measure uh, in um, 1983 when uh, my dad and I went and my, my, um, my uncle, who was the head of the synod for the whole canton, uh, took us to this magnificent church building. And they, 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 they had to do work on this building uh, right throughout the year and cost tens of thousands of Swiss, Swiss francs. And he, he was raving about this building. He went on about this building. It was, it was actually nauseating. And this, and this pulpit, he said, it's a second or third century pulpit. And, and I really didn't salivate. I really, I, did, I really wasn't getting with the program. And uh, we had a meeting there. It was a special occasion. It was one special holiday. And there were about 20 people in this huge, huge uh, church. And I said to my uncle Alphonse, but where are the people? And he said, well, don't, you know, don't worry about that. <laughs> Look at the building. And um, in decline. And it says here, in the last 25 years alone, 200 churches, chapels, and monasteries have been reused for other purposes. And why is this happening? This is happening because the church in Switzerland has become liberal. It hasn't preached the gospel, and it has quenched the Holy Spirit. It has pushed the Holy Spirit out. They are cessationists. The Holy Spirit doesn't work like that, can't work like that, full stop. And it caused the demise of the church in Switzerland. It's incredible and it's tragic. Artie Kendall writes a book about the Holy Spirit called Holy Fire. And his successor, Graham Haslin, uh, who has taken over from him in Westminster Chapel, you must understand they're not Pentecostal and they're not uh, directly a charismatic church. But he writes this, Greg Haslam. He writes, since at least the mid-1960s, God has graciously shown great favor to countless individuals and churches around the world by sending visitations of the Holy Spirit to bring personal vitality, seasons of renewal, the restoration of declining congregations, and indisputable authentic manifestations of his power to enable Christian leaders and people to duplicate in our day all the phenomena we see in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. This has been the case on all continents and countries, countless countries around the world. These have always included genuine, miraculous healings, deliverances from demonic powers, accurate prophecy, as well as a revived and sustained practice of the spiritual disciplines such as scripture reading, intercessory prayer, fasting, personal evangelism, fellowship, mission advance, and church planting. And the Swiss church is by and large, that's, that's the, the state church is by and large said, we don't want that. We're not looking for that. 
We're not expecting that. And churches that are open to the fullness of the Holy Spirit are being refreshed and revived and are, are, are experience, experiencing the fullness of life, the life of God in their lives individually, as families, and as a church. And this is our expectation as SBC, that we're open to the fullness of the Holy Spirit, no matter how he wants to work in our hearts and our lives. We're saying, God, we, we want it all. We're greedy. We want more of your Holy Spirit in our lives and to revitalize us. The baptism of the Spirit is absolutely essential for that to happen. It happened to me just a few years ago when I was 21. And um, I was filled, I was baptized in the Spirit. And um, it seems like the other day, the congregation really laughed this morning when I said that. And, it, you know, time flies, eh? It seems like the other day. And, and it, it made a huge difference in my life. God met with me at a camp. And I was not expecting it. I didn't go to ex expect uh, what, what, he, uh, what, he, what he did in, in my heart and in my life. But we, 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 it doesn't end there. It's not just a once-off experience. It's not an experience of salvation. And we don't encounter God. And we don't encounter God, the Holy Spirit, for the rest of our lives. Or the baptism of the Spirit. And we don't come for replenishment. My second point is that the Spirit produces life in us by continuous fillings of His Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, you know so well, Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit of God is saying to us, SBC, be filled. Be filled with the Spirit. This is written in the present continuous tense, so it's ongoing. It's an ongoing being filled with the Holy Spirit. This doesn't refer to the initial baptism of the Spirit, but it can include that in, in some ways. And did you notice it's an imperative? It's an imperative. It's a command. Not by the elders when you come into membership, you shall be filled with the Spirit. No, it's an imperative by God himself. It is the Lord of glory he commands us to be filled with the Spirit because it's for our good and it's for His glory. And so it's not exclusive for a certain group of believers, for elders and deacons and pastors and apostles and prophets and evangelists. It's for every single person. I'm sure that many of us have encountered people who have suffered from anorexia. It's an eating disorder and people don't, don't eat properly. They, they give up on eating well or eating at all. And if you, if you reach a certain weight loss, you go into great deficit. It's very dangerous. And there could be a point of no return. And people switch off mentally at that point. And that you're un, unable to reason with them. And, and you as a, as a parent can say to them over and over again, Love you, you need to eat more because you're wasting away. You need more calories, really. You need more calories. You, your muscles are wasting away. Or, or just, just eat a little bit more today. And it, you hit a brick wall because they say, no, I'm too fat. 
and 15% never make it. They end up dying. And I wonder how, just in spiritual terms, how many defective and anemic and anorexic, spiritually anorexic Christians there are in Christendom, in our land, in our city, where people, where people have, yeah, they've become listless and energyless. And you look in their eyes and, and there's nothing there. There's, there's nothing of the spark of God. They don't want to be involved. They hibernate. They play hooky. They go out on their own. They go out on a limb. They enter into some sect or other. Why? Because they're, they're not being filled with the Spirit continuously. They're not submitting themselves to the Holy Spirit. And so they, are, they become spiritually emaciated, weak, unable to function, self-absorbed, lazy, switched off from God. And they wonder why this Christian life doesn't work. And they wonder why God is so, so bad to them. But they're pulling away from God. And we need to respond to the Holy Spirit on an ongoing basis. We can never have enough of the Holy Spirit. Would you say amen to that? We can never have enough of the Holy Spirit. We can never allow Him to come into our hearts enough. He wants to permeate our lives, heart, body, mind, and spirit. And it's also a degree of surrendering. When we, we, we talk about being filled with the Spirit, it's surrendering our lives to Him on an ongoing basis. Saying, God, I can't live this life on my own. I need you. I need you desperately. Second Chronicles chapter 16, I read earlier on, and I just felt the Lord saying it to a congregation this morning, that the Lord looks to and fro over the earth to see who really follow Him wholeheartedly so that they can be strengthened. And if you feel like you don't have enough strength to carry on and follow the Lord, it might well be that you haven't been pursuing this area of being filled with the Spirit. Let's be honest with ourselves. How often do we pray to be filled with the Spirit? Was it last year sometime or the year before? Or is, is it an ongoing thing? How, how often do we eat? Once a week? Once a month? How often should we be filled with the Spirit? I think it's more important to be filled with the Spirit on an ongoing basis than it is even to eat. And so to be filled with the Spirit is to constantly surrender to Him because it produces health and strength and vitality. Do you want health, strength, and vitality? You can't do it alone. You can't do it in isolation. We need the Holy Spirit. Simon Ponsonby rightly says, and this verse in, about this verse in Ephesians 5:18, this verse is the linchpin of a section running from Ephesians 4:17 to Ephesians 6 and verse 20. And Paul is saying that if we are to live the Christian life marked by personal holiness and mature love, and if we are to fight and stand against demonic principalities and powers, then we can only do it if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Our second point, 
third point, I should say, is that the Spirit initiates the work of sanctification and that there are three aspects which we'll come to just now. But initially, let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by the Spirit of God. 1 Peter 1, 2. We have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Did you notice it says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. There was a point in your life when you were washed from your sins. You were sanctified, you were justified. What's, what's this word justify mean? It's a court. It's a courtroom um, terminology where there's justice, justice being meted out. When someone comes before a judge and is guilty of murder, the judge finds him guilty and pronounces a sentence. You're guilty. You must be punished. And when we come to Christ and when we accept Jesus into our hearts and our lives, we're exonerated from that punishment. We're, we're, we're freed from that punishment. Someone has spoken about uh, imagining a, a king who, um, who is a judge as well, and he judges his people on a daily basis, and he's known to be an honest and honorable judge. And these people are brought to him for, for, for judgment, and, and in comes his mother to his, um, to his horror. His mother is, is, is charged guilty of, of stealing, and it's true. He's stolen, and you can't believe that. But now he's the, the just judge, and he's got to punish his, his own mother. And so if he lets her free, then he's an unjust judge. And so what, what, what does he do? He takes off his he pronounces sentence, he takes off his robes, and he goes, and the sentence is for your arm to be chopped off, for your hand to be chopped off. He goes and he has his own hand chopped off, and then he goes back in the bench and he says, not guilty to his mother. Not guilty. That's what Jesus did on Calvary. He went to the cross on our behalf. We're judged guilty of sin and we're separated from God. And then Jesus goes and he takes the punishment for us. How can you do that? I should be punished. He said, no, because I love you so much. Justified as if you've never sinned. And then he sanctifies us. What does this word sanctification mean? It means to be made holy, to be set apart for, for God. How, do, how are you made holy? God puts on us the mantle of Christ's righteousness. And the Father looks at us as though we are righteous. We're still sinners, but we are righteous objectively in God's sight. We're made holy. And we're set apart from our old life, from our old ways, from our old serving our old enemy, the evil one. And we're brought into the kingdom of God and we have the ability to serve him. We have the ability to rejoice in him. We have the ability to enjoy him and to know him intimately. He makes us holy. He makes us acceptable, the Holy Spirit. He sets us apart and he calls us saints. Saints. I don't feel like a saint very often. My wife can tell you. You're a saint. 
not just for Mother Teresa's, for everyone. He pronounces, when he writes, Paul writes to the churches, he says, to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints here and there, and there you know, and to, to Corinth. It's like, what? We don't have to go and do all those, those miracles? No. The greatest miracle was done on your behalf in Jesus Christ. He justified you. He sanctified you. And so there are three stages of sanctification. It has a definite beginning. There's a middle part and there's an end part. So what happens in the beginning? The beginning when we repent and we open our hearts to God and say, Jesus, come in. We have spiritual life. We, we transform from darkness to light. We, 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 we were zombies, like Matt said. We were dead in our sin. And he gives us life, life of God. And we have the life of Christ. We're made the children of God. It's a wonderful thing, a wonderful work of the Spirit. Out of darkness into his light, Colossians 1.13, rescued us from the dominion of Satan. He has no dominion over you any longer. You're under new management. You're under a new king. We serve the king of kings. We, 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 we sang about that. He's the king, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. And that is why in Romans, it says in verse 6 and verse 11, count yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to Christ. We don't have to go and do the stuff, the same old stuff again. And when Satan tries to bring us there, we say, no, forget it. I'm under new ownership. There are many sex slaves who have been snatched out of, out of homes or off streets across the globe, and they, they are forced into sexual slavery. Imagine that, being a 13-year-old, and you have to walk the streets for this evil master. You have to do day in and day out. How degrading, how humiliating. And imagine someone comes and snatches you away, liberates you. You don't have to go there and do that stuff any longer. It might be part and parcel of your life for so long that you wake up in the morning and you, you head in that direction. You say, no, no, I'm under new management. My liberator set me free. I, I can live a, a free life. And this is the picture of the Holy Spirit giving us freedom to enjoy God to the fullest extent. Sanctification doesn't begin and end there, the second part of this, but it continues throughout our lives. It says in Philippians 1 and verse 6, such an amazing verse, He who has begun, who's that? The Holy Spirit, who has begun this good work in you will bring it to completion. Isn't that good news? I, I, don't have to, I don't have to think, oh, can I make it? Can I do it? You know, whoops, I'm gone. Yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm out of here. God, God won't take me to glory one day. He who has begun the good work in you will bring it to completion. A baby was abandoned recently. You might have seen it on news, thrown down a drain. Can you imagine that? Abandoning your baby. They found it after a couple of days. It's still alive revive the baby. But who can do that? Abandon their own child. There are adoption facilities. God brings us into his family by the power of the Holy Spirit. He makes us a child of God. And he walks with us throughout 
our lives. He nurtures us. He cares for us. He equips us. And he blocks the enemy. And he gives us the ability to block the enemy, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We had someone uh, from India, a missionary, I think they were, they were Kiwis, and um, they came to share with us the work that they did in India. And um, I don't think they were involved in, in um, freeing sex slaves as much as they were involved in taking them to other cities, accommodating them, feeding them, um, nurturing them with the word of God, and training them to do stuff, to do work. And um, many of these girls uh, didn't have any education. They didn't have any training. So, I mean, what, what do you do if your family rejects you or your family sells you into slavery because they can't afford you? Um, where do you go? What do you do? And so these abandoned girls who were rescued um, were nurtured by these Christians who led them to Christ and who gave them a hope and gave them a future. And this is the picture of what God the Holy Spirit does in the work of sanctification. He walks with us every single day of our lives. The very hairs of our head are numbered. He knows our thoughts. Seven billion people across the globe, and he's got other work to do as well. He's there intimately involved in our lives. It's glorious, this work of grace. And he says he, he will complete it. But what happens if I don't pray enough or read the word enough or come to church enough or, 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 or I'm not holy enough? You see, it doesn't depend on us. If God has begun the work of grace, we are a child of God. And he will never abandon us if we are his true, true child. Never will. Never will. The Bible says we are to examine to see whether we are in the faith because we are to live in, in the fear of God. Many have, have wandered and have, have, have lost their way entirely. And one wonders if they were born again in the first place. Some have come back. Others haven't. They've gone to their graves like this. And I doubt if they've ever had the work of grace of God in their lives. Otherwise, a verse like this is meaningless. He will bring it to completion. And so, if, if you're battling in that area, trust God. He's the work. He's the worker. And this, the Holy Spirit is working His work of sanctification in our hearts and in our lives. And so, the, the, He saves us from something and He takes us into something different. Take, he, he saves us from something terrible. And he's busy bringing us into something good and worthwhile and wonderful. There's no greater cause in all the world than, than to serve the living God, is there? Come on. Save the rhinos. Forgive me if that's your passion. But there's a greater purpose in the world. So sanctification is an ongoing work. It's a progressive work. It's a work that God will always work in our hearts and in our lives, and we need to cooperate with him. Paul says we are being changed in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are being changed into his likeness, into Christ's likeness, from one degree of glory to another, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
We are being transformed with ever-increasing glory. We're not static in our, in our Christian lives. When we become static, we, we need to sh- shake ourselves up and say, whoa, 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 something's wrong here. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to conform us to the image of Jesus, to becoming more and more like Christ, because he's our great model. Victor Culligan says, the primary agent of salvation is God the Spirit, an imperfect creature like us. We cannot make ourselves holy or perfect. It must be perfected by a perfect being. In this sense, sanctification is a passive activity. And so there's a work that only God can do, is what he's saying. So although God is the primary agent in sanctification, we have a role to play as well. They're not equal in the roles, and uh, they both don't both work the, the same. Thirdly and finally, the final stage is when we, we go to glory. That's when we will be perfect. Are you looking forward to that? Hey, I'm so looking forward to being made perfect, not making mistakes, not sinning anymore. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. Aren't you grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? We're blessed beyond measure. He he has lavished his love on us, the Bible says. He's lavished his love on us. If you don't feel loved by God, you need to push into the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, so that you can know that he's lavished his love on you. Fourthly, what is our role in sanctification? Many Christians look for a quick fix, um, some gimmicks to enable them to become holy because they don't have the stomach for enduring. They don't have the stomach for, um, for um, persistence, for hard work, for discipline, for obedience. Uh, they take shortcuts. There aren't any shortcuts. There are no five easy steps to becoming like Jesus. It takes discipline over a lifetime. I haven't arrived yet. Be patient with me. Should be on our door. Because God is at work in our lives. Paul says, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus, Philippians. And he says in another occasion, I beat my body to make it my slave. I fought the good fight, he says in Timothy. I finished the race. This is when he came to the end of the road, when he came to to his final breath. Hope that we will be able to say the same. Hope that I'll be able to say the same. I fought the good fight for Christ. It is a fight. It's not a picnic. We fight against an enemy who's out to destroy us and he he will not stop until we go to glory. He will always come against us, always try and trip us up, always try and discourage us. Paul said, I fought the good fight in God, with God's help. And he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, Romans 12. And then in Philippians 2, he says, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You see the dual aspect here? We are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, what God has worked in. It is only because God has worked in that we can work out. And so it's not salvation by works. It's what 
God has enabled us to do. We don't have to respond to an evil master like we used to. We can respond to God because of the work of the Holy Spirit, giving us strength, giving us grace. It's a daily thing that we have to work on every single day of our lives. In uh, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 7 and 8, it says, Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. And so here's our responsibility. It says, train yourself. Train yourself. But I've got a personal training in the gym. I, you know, I've got a mentor. He's training me. No, it says, train your Self, train yourself. We've all played sport. We've all been there, done it. And some of us are still keeping fit, doing all sorts of things like, like uh, kayaking and running and cycling and gymming and playing team sports. When I came here, everybody said, do you cycle? And I said, no, I run. Oh, you don't cycle? It's like after the 40th one, I thought, Maybe I'll get fired if I don't cycle. Love, love we, we, better get, we better get bicycles. So, good to know that so many people are keeping fit. And you know that it takes hard work to keep fit, right? It takes consistency and persistence. You can't just do a stuff for like one month and then take three months off. And the older you get, if you do that, boy, it's, it's difficult to get back on track again. If you've had sickness or, or, or injury. But it, it, it takes discipline and hard work. But it's, it's rewarding, right? It's rewarding. It says that physical training is of some value. In the old days, they used to preach this and say, physical fitness is of no value. No, it does have value. It's part of our sanctification. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 and as the temple of the Holy Spirit, we need to take care of it. As to the food we eat, as to how we exercise and take care of it, sleeping well. We honor God by honoring Him in our, in our bodies, in our minds, and in our spirits. The sad thing is that so many Christians um, focus on physical fitness rather than on spiritual fitness. And we need to focus on spiritual fitness, putting it right at the top of the list. So how do we do that? It requires hard work, consistency, honesty, willingness to change, willingness to confess sin, sinful attitudes, habits, and behavior. It needs us to do that. That's why it says train yourself. Only you can do that. Only I can do that. Nobody else can confess my sin for myself. I have to say, oh God, I blew it. Sorry. Forgive me. Move on. Confess your sin. Confess your sin. That's our role in sanctification. So what are some of the aids to helping us? Well, there's Bible reading that we need to do on a, on a daily basis. Prayer. Small group fellowship, which is absolutely essential if we are to grapple with each other and, and minister to each other. Sunday meetings, mentors, I've got on my list, friends, Christian friends, 
fasting, our spouse, iron sharpens iron. It's no use saying, God, why have you given me this woman? God, why have you given me this man in marriage? Iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. It's part of sanctification. Part of us growing in Christ. So, we eat every day and we read the scriptures every day, right? How do we read the scriptures? We need to read it grappling with the word of God. Arguing with the word of God. Mulling over the word of God. Let's look at a few things that we do when we read through a passage of scripture. We should be asking ourselves, is there any sin to confess? Promises to claim? Attitudes to change, a command to obey, example to follow, a prayer to pray. So often people say, I don't know how to pray. I, I, I pray for five minutes and I run out of things to pray for. Well, the word that we're reading is full of stuff that we can pray for. Error to avoid, truth to believe, something to praise God for. Won't you make a note of that on your phone? And won't you come to the Word of God each day, grappling with it and growing in God, allowing God to transform you, allowing God to change you? Number five, how does God, the Holy Spirit, promote our sanctification? Well, we've already said, supernaturally, He works in our lives, enabling us to respond to God, whereas before we couldn't. But the Spirit also uses trials and tribulations to grow us, to become like Jesus. All through Scripture, we, we see examples of people going through amazingly difficult times. And we can say to God, why are you allowing this? God, take this away. And all the while, God is saying, now change that around and saying, what do you want me to learn? What are you teaching me in this? How can I grow in sanctification and become more like Jesus. James chapter 1 and verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. He also disciplines us. How, 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 how did you cause your children to mature and to become good adults? Did you use discipline? Some of us did. Or were we doting and just anything goes and they can do as they please? Those are not going to be mature people. They're not going to be well balanced one day. They're going to cause trouble at work and in their families. And so it's important that we discipline our children. And Hebrews chapter 12 says in verse, or especially verse 10, our fathers disciplined us for a little while. It was Aina sometimes, wasn't it? While they thought, uh, while I, as they, a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. And so when we're going through a hard time, we need to say, God, what, what is happening to me? And it's, it's not always that God is disciplining us, might be a, or that we are sinful and God's not getting, we're not get, getting God's attention. But we need to question where we are at in our, in our spiritual lives. It's quite significant that 
The Spirit of God is called the the Holy Spirit. Have you heard? He was called the Holy Spirit. Some, some are still there. Yes, he's called the Holy Spirit, and he resides within us. So that, that is why he allows testings. That is why he brings discipline to us in our lives. It's for our good. Okay, the last thing, what should motivate us to live in the fullness of the Spirit? A desire to please God. Mark yourself out of ten. A desire to have a clear conscience before God. So often we deaden our consciences, and we wonder why we're not experience, experiencing the fullness of life in Christ. A desire to see unbelievers come to Christ through our example. A desire to receive God's blessing on our lives and our ministries. Who doesn't want to be blessed by God? Put up your hand. I thought so. A desire for a deeper walk with God. A desire for heavenly rewards. A desire to be richly used in our church. If you're part of this church or you're becoming part of this church, Saying, God, I want to be used by you to advance your kingdom, to glorify your, your name, to be the best that I can, the best soldier in Jesus Christ that I can. It's only as we do it together that we're going to be going forwards in, in Christ. It, it, it's no use saying, well, someone else can do it. You know, others will do it, I'm sure. I'm sure there will be many takers I am sure that many will, you know, seek the, the baptism of the Spirit, or many will be filled on an ongoing way. But, you know, it's, I'm just little old me. What can I do? Great things, great things. Like, like you heard through Louis, who was let down. They didn't know the potential of this man when they prayed over him and let him down by a basket as he was escaping, Paul was escaping from his tormentors. We don't know what God can do in our hearts and in our lives. As I said, the, 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 the Swiss church has excluded the, the working of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we need to repent of that if that is us. And saying, well, you know, we don't believe in, in that stuff. We're not looking for experience for experience, for experience sake. But, I mean, I... I, I uh, when I went back teaching after leaving the Hamwick Baptist Church, uh, a Baptist pastor said, go to this Presbyterian church, you you'll really will enjoy it. My, my sister is the, the, um, married to the pastor, Charles Gordon. And um, we, came, we came there um, with low expectation. I mean, it's a Presbyterian church. Full-on charismatic. Full, full, full-on charismatic. It blew our socks off. It's like, what? What? I mean, it, it was incredible. It was incredible. People were often healed as they, as they worshipped God. And as, as I said before, my, uh, Charles let everybody go. And then he said, ah, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. Who would like to meet my friend Jesus? I thought, nobody's going to respond to that. What? Twelve or so people came forward again. Yeah. Where the, the Holy Spirit is, God works. In the last couple of weeks, 
We've seen people coming to salvation. There was a lady that came last Sunday, and she said, oh, I feel so clean. I feel so restored. The first time in my life, 68-year-old, it's never happened to me before. Are we praying for that to happen? Are we expect That's the greatest miracle, right? Are we longing for that? Are we longing for the life of the Spirit? I trust that you are. And I trust that you're praying for that in your, in your own heart and in the life of our church. So let's pray. Our God, our Father, how we bless you for not leaving us alone when, when you left. For your Father, Lord Jesus, you said, I will send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the one who will counsel, the one who will teach, the one who will equip. And we pray now that you would come again and visit us as a church, that we would brim with life, with vigor and vitality, that um, the life of Christ will shine through our eyes, through our bodies, that as we worship people, as they come in here for the first time, we'll, we'll recognize that we've been with Jesus and we've been filled with the Spirit. Thank you for that family that came today. And they said they, they could sense the, the presence of God. They could sense the love of God, the peace of God. Bless you for that, Lord. Bless you for that. We want more of that, Lord. We want more, much, much more of that. We want to be greedy. We want to be hungry for more. Come, come, Holy Spirit. Do that work which only you can do. That multitudes will come to salvation. That multitudes will be healed and restored emotionally, mentally, physically. Bless you, Lord. And maybe there's someone here today and you don't know what this experience is all about, salvation. That Jesus would, would declare that you're guiltless, that you are going to be justified as though you've never sinned. That can happen to you today. Won't you respond to him today? In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. And so if you do not know Jesus, don't, know, don't have assurance of salvation I would invite you to come and speak with us this morning. We'd love to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to begin a work that will last for all eternity. So don't miss out on that opportunity. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great day.